Well, maybe maybe Pastor Dick keeps asking me to come back because I keep saying nice things about you at the beginning of my messages. I'm going to do it again. I love being here. I'm not quite ready yet to leave what where where we are now, what God's doing. But every time I'm here, I'm just so encouraged. Every song brought me to tears, and God is among you. I was just with a church last week. I don't want to speak ill of them. I just noticed that the culture of the church seemed that not everyone there seemed to be seeking after God. And and it seemed like my role there was to try to just awaken and activate, but it seems very much so that God is alive here and He is at work here. And the message that um, God's put on my heart for you all this morning, you know, there's just a lot of repenting that we always have to do, but there's evidence that that repentance has been active here. And so there's a lot to be grateful for. And as I just worship the Lord with you this morning, so uh, thank you for letting me be here. I know it wasn't everyone's choice, but um glad glad that I could be here with you. Um, as I was driving up this morning, just uh, praying in, in the car, and <clears throat> my heart's a little tender right now. Tenderized it with the, the worship this morning, so I might get emotional, but I was in the car, and um, I think my my personality, maybe some of you can identify with this, is to just kind of I'm a doer more than someone who just, um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words. I, I strive when I need to rest and be content. And so in the car, I'm just asking God, prepare me. Let us be the message, you know, all of that, what, whatever, if you've been in a situation like that. And, and I asked that God would speak to me. And, and immediately, just several phrases just came to mind right? I'm sure you've experienced this still small voice. He said, I'm with you. And he said, um, I heard the word delight. And he said, you bring me joy. So my kind of frenzy prayer, you know, prayers in the flesh, really just... Stopped, and I kind of wondered, like, wow, is somebody praying for me right now? <laughs> what just happened? And um, I was about to get out of the car this morning, open the door. It's like the Lord said, no, shut the door. <laughs> so I shut the door. He said, Chad, I'm with you. So I just wanted to share that. Um <clears throat> Because, sorry, normally I'm so analytical and like thinking. I'm not the feeler in the room, but um, my hope and my prayer this morning is that we would meet with God. And it's already evident that we have and, and we are. I pray that we just continue to as we interact with his word. So can we do that together? If you have a Bible, you can open it up to uh, 1 Corinthians 9. It's already been read. As you're turning there, oh, shout out, special thanks to Evan and Daniel for getting me this whiteboard in the last hour and uh, working markers and erasers. It was a little bit of a hunt, but we, we got there. Thank you so much for the last minute request. Uh, the New York City Marathon, anyone ever attended or raced in that? 
We're kind of close. Really? Yes. Do. Wow. Excellent. Love to hear stories about that. What years? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. So the New York City Marathon is an annual marathon, 26.219 miles that courses through the five boroughs of New York City. It is the largest marathon in the world with 53,000 finishers in 2019 and 98,000 applicants in the 2017 race, just to give you a picture of uh, how many people. Each year, nearly 2 million spectators line the course. The winners have represented 22 different countries. The fastest time yet was by Jeffrey Mutai of Kenya in 2011 with two hours and five seconds. That's, that's less than a five-minute mile for 26 miles. I won't ask these two what their time was. I'm sure it was better than mine. Uh, I've never ran, ran a marathon. I did run cross country in middle school. That's my life accomplishment. The Apostle Paul makes multiple references, three uh, to, my, uh, to my findings, of comparing the life of following Jesus to a race. And really, I think it's like a marathon. It's less like a sprint. Can we agree? And more like a marathon. Um, so the question for us is, where are we in the race? In this race of making disciples? In this race of following Jesus? Are we watching it on TV? Are we watching it in person? Maybe we're even more devoted, but not quite yet in the race. Are you passing out drinks to those you know who are in the race? Have you started training? Have you tried out but not been picked? Because there's a lottery for this marathon, right? Not everyone who wants to, to race in the New York City Marathon can, can run. Are you in the race yourself? Are you just getting started? Are you near the end of the race? Are others passing you? Are you passing others? Are you about to win? Are you thinking about giving up? Have you already given up? See, we're, we're somewhere in this race. And I think the Apostle Paul has a lot to share with us this morning um, about that race and how we can find our way. So if you've got, got your Bible open, I'm, I'm going to read out of the ESV. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 19. I'll read it again. <clears throat> It says, for, th for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. Interesting, he didn't say, not that I'm weak. There. That's a joke I should have filtered, sorry. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. 
then that kind of new paragraph, new thought. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not reign aimlessly, run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, that key biblical truth, just to kind of summarize all this in a sentence, maybe you'd put it in a different way, but one attempt, the gospel transforms us to become all things to all people with purpose and discipline in every step of the race. That's where we're headed this morning. So before we dive into Paul's words, um, kind of line, line by line, I wanted to just kind of frame it with two ideas, the two paragraphs that we just read, right? He's speaking of becoming all things to all people, kind of in the first section, the first little paragraph, and then he kind of switches metaphors to talk of this race, right? So I just want us to see the big picture of Scripture. This is not the only time that God has things to say to us about all people and about life being like a race. So uh, here's a few verses here, thinking about this all people theme. Psalm 117.1 says, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. Isaiah 56.7, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. You do a quick search on BibleGateway.com to search all people and find verses like these. Daniel 7.14, speaking of the Son of Man, of Jesus, To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. John 12, 32, and I, when I am lifted up, Jesus speaking from the earth, will draw all, draw all people to myself. Acts 17, 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 1 Timothy 2, 4, who, who desires all people, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 4, 10, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That is the mindset. That's the context where we want to be thinking about. As Paul is saying, become all things to all people. This is a very passionate value of our God. And in the second paragraph, we see this metaphor of a race. I'm just going to read two other quick passages, a few verses, where Paul also talks about this idea of a race. 2 Corinthians Four, so he, this is First Corinthians. He brings it up again in the second letter to the church at Corinth. He says, "As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring, uh, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering." Is that how you felt at the end of the marathon, like you were being poured out? And at, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He says. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Uh, the second time, this is not uh, Paul, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews. Maybe it was Paul. We don't know. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this sound familiar? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him while he was running his race, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this theme of all peoples and this theme of running this race should keep us going and should be on our mind as we're as we're running the race. And I think here's the situation in which we find ourselves. I don't think I'd get much agree, disagreement in the room. The church in America is not doing well in the global race of making disciples of all nations. Not doing well at all. Paul's words give us nine paradigm shifts, okay? The, the passage we're We've just read, and it's been read twice now. There's nine paradigm shifts that I want us to look at. If we're going to effectively make disciples, we've got to make these shifts. I'm sure many of us in the room, maybe all of us have made some of these shifts and are making progress in most, if not all of these shifts, but still I think we need to hear them and we need to see Paul's example. So I'm going to write them on the board for us. Uh, The first shift we see is uh, from free people to servants. And when I say paradigm shift, I'm thinking of a paradigm is just a way of being, a way of of acting, um, a way of living. So I'm going to say free people. Can you read this in the back? Kind of, a little small, bigger. I can do it. All right. Now you can you can take notes yourself. Is that better? Free, now I gotta be neat. I gotta write like my wife. Free people to what did I say? Servants. This is a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. Okay, free people. Where do we see this? Well, verse 19, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Paul was a free man, and Paul had freedom in Christ to to follow God. I was just um, reading, actually. I have uh, some Muslim friends that are very dear to me, and I was just curious. We were we were I was throwing a football with my son in the park, and I just wondered, this pigskin is this an offensive thing that we're doing here, my Muslim friends? And just looked is is American football haram or forbidden for Muslims? And Sure enough, there were some scholars that said, yes, it's a waste of time that should be spent on religion. And then I saw another question in Google that said, um, is playing chess? Because I have a friend, a Muslim friend that I've been playing chess with. He loves chess. And yes, chess is also forbidden, according to some imams. And then music, playing guitar, all of these things came up. Like, wow, Paul knows as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, so much freedom. We have so much freedom. What does Paul do with this freedom? He uses his freedom to serve. Are you familiar with the story of the two Moravian missionaries who uh, left left the boat shouting to their um, friends and, and their loved ones as they were selling themselves into slavery to, to share Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel with uh, a group of slaves that had never heard it, and the only way to get in was they made multiple attempts to get into this place, and the answer was no. So they willingly sold themselves into slavery, leaving their family, their loved ones behind, and they shouted from the boat, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. 
This is what Christians do. We use our freedom to serve others. How are you using your freedom? How am I using my freedom? Our time, our money, our relationships, our job, the resources that God has given us, the privileges that God has given us. Um, are we using it to serve? The second paradigm shift we see, um, let's see, I might rephrase this. I don't like the our, their language. I'm going to say from one culture to all cultures. I always do this. Miss the, the L. One culture to all cultures. It's very easy. Um, you know, I see it with my kids on the playground. It's just easy to play with people who you can relate to, have a similar set of values, culture, ethnicity, upbringing. It's just, that's natural. Um, what's difficult is to cross-cultural gaps and to spend time with people who are very different than us and have different set of values, different dress, different um, eating, different um, music, what, whatever is important to all of us, everything is just different. And, and what, is, what does Paul say? He talks about four sets of people. Can you count the four people? Look at verse 20. To the Jews, that's the first group he's talking about. He says, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. So when he's with the Jews, he himself was a Jew, so it wasn't hard for him, but he, so he was very Jewish with his, his Jewish friends, right? Then he looks at the second group. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Right? He has freedom to not be so bound to this law, but he is operating underneath this law as if he were under that law when he is with his Jewish friends. Does that make sense? The third group he's talking about, uh, to those outside the law, verse 21, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So he is not outside the law of, of God. He's under the law of Christ. He does have a law that he's obeying, but when he's with those who are outside the law, He's finding common ground. He's relating to those who don't have that point of reference. Um, yeah, I just think about several examples. So Paul is, is using a sermon one time, and he quotes uh, in Acts 17, he quotes the poetry of those uh, of, that he was speaking to. Rather than Peter quoting from the Old Testament to his Jewish friends, Paul is quoting from secular Greek poetry uh, to his, his Greek audience. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So to those who weak, whatever he means here, maybe a weak conscience, maybe, maybe they're depressed, maybe they're demoralized, maybe they're just not very strong in their convictions, whatever, whatever Paul's talking about, whatever the, the kinds of people he's, he's speaking to, he's trying to relate with them. He's trying to be empathetic with them and find common ground to be able to communicate. You know, in a place like Jackson Heights, where we live, there's 167 languages spoken there. So they say. I think it's true. And I just have a, have a list here, just some of the things that we've come to adjust to um, as we've investigated our own Caucasian ethnicity. Um, wearing pants is one. 
I'm very used to wearing shorts in the summer when it's hot, but many of the, the cultures that we're, we're working with, the men always wear pants. And it's kind of a symbol of, well, you're an adult now, so you put on pants when you wake up in the morning. Um, going to temples, going to restaurants that are um, you know, filled with people that I will probably not cross paths with uh, or, or interact with in another setting, in another situation. Go, going to find uh, certain individuals who uh, are only going to be in kind of these, these spaces. Thinking about myself as an individual to thinking about myself as a community. So there's one person, um, he's coming to our, our house church this afternoon. Um, I, when I came to faith, it was a very individual decision. And as I'm talking with him, I'm realizing he needs to see the community. He needs to see the community that he will be leaving and the community that he would be embracing. He needs to check that out first. And that's a very part of his decision-making. Uh, from, from concepts to stories, I, 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 we're, we're thinking about things like, I'm used to speaking of the gospel in abstract concepts rather than just telling Bible stories. One day I was with my neighbor and I had shared the gospel with him multiple times and it just didn't click or resonate with him. And then one day I told him a story and he just looked at me and said, Chad, can you tell me a new story every day? <laughs> I could go on. There's, there's a list. Even growing a beard is something that every, every imam, every um, Muslim priest has a beard. So if you're I've spoken to people that they say, if, if, if I see a, a white person without a beard, I think, oh, it's just, it's a, it's a guy. But if I see a white person with, with a beard, I think, oh, that, that man is close to God. Eating pork, not drinking alcohol, all of these things. There's, there's just little adjustments where we, we realize, my friend came over a few weeks ago. He's Hindu. There's no, he does not eat beef. And we had tacos that night. And I was trying to hide the crock pot and everyone's plates and everyone's trying to cover it up and becoming all things to all people. It's, it's not that I'm, I never eat beef. It's not that I never wear shorts, just like Paul is saying here. But when we're with those, we don't want to put an unnecessary stumbling block in front of somebody else. You don't want to kill a bug in front of someone who believes in reincarnation. You don't want to point like this in a Buddhist temple. That's very offensive. You, you go like this. It's all kinds of little things that we have just stumbled over. The next paradigm shift that we see, from compromise to conviction. Okay? From compromise to conviction. Compromise. Where do we see this? Sorry, I'm not smart enough to come up with alliterative... Uh, you know, we're not spelling a word with all of these, unfortunately, but where do we see this, uh, this idea of compromise and conviction? We'll look at the, the, the latter half of verse 20, when Paul says, though not being myself under the law, right? As he is a completed Jew, he, he is free from the law. Jesus completed the law for him, and he is not obligated to obey the law anymore because Jesus has obeyed it for him. Jesus is the fulfillment of this law. And so as he is being very Jewish with those under the law, he himself, uh, so his, con 
here's where he could get in trouble. Maybe I'll, I'll put it this way. Remember Peter? He got in trouble. He compromised his Christian convictions when he was with the Jews, and he started keeping the law as a Jew and, and lost some of his freedom in Christ. Do you remember that story? So as we're trying to be all things to all people, we need to be careful that we're not sliding into compromising and losing the convictions of our Christian faith. If I begin to believe that I shouldn't eat beef because you know, cows are divine, I'm compromising on my Christian faith. But if I'm trying to lovingly extend grace to my friend and be, be aware of things that are important to him, well, that's different. You see what I'm saying here with compromise and conviction? So as we're relating to other people, we need to hold on to our convictions. Many times, uh, the, the Christian church, in, in trying to make an effort to reach out to a culture or, or a group of people, we just kind of slide down a slippery slope and we forget the starting point of our convictions or that need to kind of be stakes on the hill that we hold on to so we don't slide down. And then the, the other part of uh, verse 21 you see, it's, if you're reading it, it's, it's in the ESV, there are uh, parentheses. These are Paul's little parentheses, parenthetical insertions here. He says, verse 21, the second half, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. See, that's his conviction. When he's with those who are Gentiles, who are Greeks, outside the law, he doesn't forget that he's still under the law of Christ, right? He's relating with them as Jesus, you know, was eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors. I think there was some grace that Jesus was enjoying at many of these parties with sinners and tax collectors, but Jesus didn't lose his convictions. The sinners and tax collectors left repenting, but yet they loved him and they wanted to hang out with him and they wanted to spend time with him. So we need to be the kind of Christians, according to Paul, if we're to make disciples, we need to be the kind of Christian that any kind of sinner would love to hang out with and spend time with but yet hold on to our convictions and not compromise in those settings. Making sense? Some shifts that we need to make. Here's another shift. Paul's not done. A gospel that informs to a gospel that transforms. I'm just going to write transforms. Okay, a gospel that informs. The gospel does inform, but it don't, doesn't merely inform. It doesn't only inform. It, it should transform us. Verse 23, what a great verse. And, and what integrity and conviction. I mean, how many of us can say this? How many of us can write a letter to a group of churches, a group of house churches, probably in the city of Corinth? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul's not perfect. He's not sinless. But all of, all of this activity, all this, this, the life that he lives, the lifestyle that he has, he does it all for the sake of the gospel so that he may share with those that he's um, giving that gospel to, share in its blessings as well. You know, there's... Um, we can be very compartmentalizing with our faith, can't we? We can wake up in the morning. We can have the tradition of a, of a quiet time. God, this is my time. This is your time. I'm giving it to you. And how easily can we just move on to the next thing? When we close the Bible or we, uh, we, we 
get up from the chair. It's on to the next thing. It's off to work. Kids come in the room, whatever your context is. And um, it can be a distant memory that just stays in that compartment. But Paul is saying, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Do we have the mindset while we're at work, while we're with our families, everything that we're doing, the things that we're saying, it's for the gospel. What does that mean for the gospel? It's so that the gospel would advance, so that the gospel would spread the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It's news that needs to be spread. It's news that needs to be demonstrated and modeled. And it takes our whole life to demonstrate it. If we just speak some words, I love uh, chapter 4. We're in chapter 9. A few chapters before this, 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. It's very easy for us to talk about obedience and not obey. It's like we can do anything as Christians except obey sometimes. We, we talk a lot about the things that other people should be doing or we, you know, we should be doing, but we don't end up doing the things. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. So the repentance that my wife and I have had to make when we go to the park with our kids, that's time to meet someone. That, and we, we told the kids, you know, we tell the kids, hey, let's meet a new friend today. And we do it all for the sake of the God. We're still a family when we're eating dinner together. Who can we invite into this meal? How can we be a family on mission together? Not just be a family and not me leave the family for the sake of the mission. Let's be a family, but let's be a family on mission. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I think I've said enough about that. Um, from spectators to athletes is the next paradigm shift that we see here. From spectators, I'm getting smaller, aren't I? Spectators to athletes. Some words are capitalized and some are not. I apologize. Verse 24, where he switches kind of metaphors. The first part of the verse, it says, Do you know, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Right? If you're a runner, you're running. If you're in the race, you're running. If you're a Christian, you're in the race. And we got to be running. But somehow, we can find a way. We, we, we're creative. <laughs> we can find a way to turn the, the, the obligation or the responsibility, the command to run into something that we just watch or we talk about or we study. We study the Great Commission more than we obey the Great Commission a lot of the time. I'm speaking in generalities. I'm not trying to be mean here. I think we have a lot of paradigm shifts to repent of uh, in the American church. Um, so from spectators to athletes. I know what, what, I, what I was saying years ago when I, I was living in Connecticut for 10 years, pastor of a church before we moved to New York. We've been in New York about three years now. And near the latter end, um, I realized what I began to say was I was so busy being a pastor that I didn't have time to be a Christian. And that's not any kind of criticism on the role of pastor. That was a criticism on, on me looking in the mirror and realizing I was doing, I was, I was telling people what to do, but I wasn't doing it myself. 
for example, my wife and I, we went through, you know, I think many of you here might have heard of 3DM, the organization. Uh, my wife and I went through a two-year learning community with 3DM years ago, and one of the, the takeaways from, from one of those trainings, we said, okay, we're going to have a weekly dinner. We're going to invite all of our friends who are far from God. We're going to invite them over for dinner. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Okay, let's do it this week. Great. Who should we invite? And we realized we don't have friends to invite to something like this. We had three people that we invited. None none of them came. (laughs) And we realized, okay, we have some work to do. We have some repenting to do. And, And no wonder those that we're trying to influence and lead are struggling to make disciples themselves when, look, look at us, from spectators to athletes. I love Paul's words. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? We should all be running. And there are, there are people that all of us know that know, all, you're the only person in, this, in that person's life who can, can bring them to, to God. You're the only person who have, has access or the kind of trust or respect that they are looking for to follow God. Uh, moving on, next paradigm shift from beginners to winners. I'm sorry for the corniness there, the cheesiness there. I, I kind of like it. From beginners to winners. Where do we see that? Well, if you didn't notice in the first few, the first paragraph, you know how many times Paul says the word win. Five times. Uh, with each of those kind of four groups, he's talking about the Jews, those under the law, those outside the law, the weak, and then he makes a general statement to everyone he, so that I might win more of them. If you're a beginner, uh, a follower of Jesus who is a beginner, I think you will win people to Christ. I think you will. I think it's a matter of time. But look at Paul's words in verse 19. He says that I might win more of them. He doesn't want to stay a beginner. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He, he wants to grow. He wants to advance. He wants to be an elite follower of Jesus. And look at what he did with his life. Every opportunity was an opportunity to grow. Um, and he's, he's advancing. He's asking what he can learn from this. I need to go faster with my shifts here. I'm looking at the time. From aimless to disciplined. How fortuitous that we're on that point, and I just realized the time. Aimless to, what was the word? I've already forgotten it. Disciplined. I'm also partly deaf from too much music in my life. Not music like Nathan. He's a real musician. From aimless to disciplined. Verse 25 it says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. If you're running aimlessly, you know, if, if you have a goal that you set in your life, let's say I'm going to run every day for 10 minutes as a fitness goal, um, you, you'll, you'll grow, you'll get a little bit more in shape. Right? But if you have a coach who's telling you, hey, you need to work on your form, you know, you're kind of swinging your arms too much, you need to really be more disciplined. If you have a coach who's telling you that and then timing you and say, hey, today you shaved off five seconds from last week. Great job. Keep going. If you're going to 
to ha have that experience, you're going to really grow in fitness. So he doesn't run aimlessly. He's not just living his Christian life, kind of meandering, well, I'll try to follow God today. No, he's, he's setting goals. He's listening to God, and he's obeying, and he's tracking. He's, he doesn't box as one beating the air, you know, like a boxer who just, like, does this a few times, but doesn't actually make contact, doesn't actually hit anyone. You, you're not making progress, right? As, as believers, we need to make progress, right, as, that, as he's using the metaphor. Um, so here's an example. When it comes to making disciples, one of the most helpful things that, that we've done in, in our church, we paired up, me and someone else, some, you know, two people in pairs, and we'll go to same restaurants and parks, and we'll just make conversation with people, just having spiritual conversations with people, very organic, natural, relational conversations. And we're just looking for opportunities to bring God into the conversation. That discipline of just this day, this time, with somebody else who's going to hold me accountable, we're going to be sharing our faith. Everybody has an hour in their week, 20 minutes in their week, some point of time that we can get together with somebody else. Um, so let's not be aimless, but disciplined in our disciple making. All right, from per perishable rewards to imperishable. Almost done here. From perishable rewards to imperishable. Maybe you can just get a sense for the shape of the word in the back of the room at this point. Verse 25b, they, they, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. All of the goals that we have in our life, all the, the races that we will quote-unquote run in our life, none are as important as the race of following Jesus and making disciples because the rewards that come with that are eternal rewards. If we are motivated by earthly things, and it's not wrong, if you want more money and you work harder, uh, you work smarter, you will make more money. That's a healthy motivation, not an evil motivation at all. But what we have in Christ is more valuable than money. The, the rewards that God gives us, I think we, man, the second verse of the family hymn that, uh, that you guys wrote, I love that so much. Maybe it was the third. At the end of our life, there's just like joys and, and blessings that we're, we're so thankful. I'm, it was much more eloquent and profound than that. That is the reward. Just, can you quote it? Are there lyrics up here? Probably the third. Yeah, I think it, I think it was. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's the third. You're right. Praises be to God, most gracious. Thou hast chosen for us thy best. Shown us step by step the journey, when to move and when to rest. Now our lives overflow with blessings. More than we could ever expect. Pouring forth our deep thanksgiving. Lord, we trust thee further yet. That is the reward. Yeah, we, I'm grateful for that reward. And the last, from preaching to practicing. Number nine. From preaching to practicing, and we're landing the plane here. Preaching to practicing. Paul is, is a preacher, but he's not just a preacher. Verse 27, the other part of the verse, he says, Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
Paul does not want to be disqualified in the race because you can get in the habit when you teach other people how to do something, you think, oh, my contribution to the kingdom is to tell others what to do, but to somehow not run ourselves. We have to run as we're teaching others how to run. That's how it works in the Christian life. A rule that has really transformed um, me and my family. I just, I love what Jesus said in the Great Commission. He said, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Don't just teach people to understand. Yes, that's necessary and part of it, but teach people to obey. Don't tell people what to do until you've modeled it first so they can see how to do it. They've seen you do it. They've, they've demonstrated it. So here's a question for us. Which of these shifts have you already made? You know, and, and worth speaking in generalities, maybe in some areas of your life you've made the shift and others you haven't. Where are you strong? And which of these shifts is God asking you to make? Where are you weaker? And something I think would be good to, to reflect on. Maybe snap a picture of, of this or you've been taking notes. <clears throat> God became a man to save you. Will you adjust your culture to see others saved? Jesus started a race for all people and has invited you to run. Will you join? As long as we're alive, it's never too late to join Jesus in the race. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I heard a story once about a boy who came to the Lord and, you know, from a Muslim religion. Mm -hmm. uh, one day they were eating, uh, he was eating with some Christians and they had ham. And he wouldn't eat the ham. And they said to him, uh, but you, uh, you're not under the law anymore. You can eat that. He said, no, I can't. My father said, if I ever eat pork, they'll throw me out of the house. And he needed to be there to witness to his father. Yeah. So he put himself under that uh, law just to keep all things all one. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Glad you interrupted. Not interrupting when it's welcome. And, and Jesus, an ultimate example of, of this, this story, he came close to us. We see four Ps, proximity. God in Christ has approached us not only in a way we can understand, but also in a way that we can access. Powerlessness, we see this in the incarnation. In becoming one of us, God takes the form of a servant and not that of someone who rules over us. Proximity, powerlessness, passion, the ability to feel things deeply, to empathize with those who suffer and proclamation, proximity, powerlessness, passion, proclamation. Jesus initiated the gospel invitation. He said something. He didn't just live in obscurity and never open his mouth. He turned the world upside down, which is, uh, and he's still turning the world upside down. So let's run after these values in our lives until we get the prize. John 17, 18 says, as you sent me into the world, Jesus speaking, so I have sent them into the world. We are the them. John twenty twenty one. as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Um, if I have time for a quick story, I, I, I read a book on the plane um, to Bahrain. Actually, I went to Bahrain recently, and the book is called uh, uh, Chasing the Dragon by Jackie Pullinger. Anyone ever heard of the book? Wow, no one. Okay. One of the most powerful books I've ever read. I, I think I told my, my family, best book I've ever read. It's a story of a young woman who 
felt the call to be a missionary. She was given the advice. She didn't know where to go. So someone said, well, there's a boat that goes, has all these stops. So why don't you just get on that boat and get off where, where God tells you to stop. So that's what she did. She ended up in the walled city of Hong Kong. And in this particular place, the, the walled city, there was so much heroin and drugs and terrible things. And after a couple of years, as she was living in homelessness, living with, with the, in, in very unclean conditions, getting sick herself and experiencing all kinds of pain and suffering because of her desire to be among the, these people here. After a couple of years, people started coming to faith and they, and they said, why, why are you still here? Most of the other missionaries, they leave after two years. They just can't take it anymore. And she said, Jesus never left me. I'm not planning on leaving you. And now, I, I mean, this book, hundreds of cases where someone would just come off heroin, they'd be baptized in the spirit, they'd be speaking in tongues, and then immediately their heroin withdrawals would dissipate. You have to be in the hospital for like a week at least to come off of these drugs. So just miracle after miracle after miracle. Hundreds of cases, just stories in this book. After I read the book, I just, I thought, I want to be like this woman, Jackie. I want to be like Jesus, who came, lived among us, suffered to bring us to him. So where are you in the race? Where do you want to be? Where are you, what are you going to do about it? Revelation 7, 9 through 17 tells us the end of, of the race. So imagine New York City Marathon. Everybody's coming in and you're celebrating afterwards. This is what it's like. This is what it will be like. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, not just 22 nations like the New York City Marathon, every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to them, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They run the race. They have, I've lost my notes. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Father, we thank you for the privilege of becoming all things to all people. The privilege of running this race. We thank you ultimately that you have become a person for us. And you have run and finished the race for us. And this celebration in heaven is about your victory and our victory is just a small part of your victory. And everything that we do 
is a part of what is because uh, of your victory. So God, would you help us not just be people who talk? Would you help us not just be people who write things on boards and pay attention and talk about them after the service? May we repent. May we confess. May we make these shifts in our lives like the Apostle Paul did. And may we truly become all things to all people and run this race. Only you can accomplish this. So would you perform that miracle in our hearts and in our lives? We ask. And I say thank you in advance for all the ways that you already have made these shifts in our lives. Um, it's evident in this, in this church. It's evident in this culture. May we celebrate that and continue to press on because we're not done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.